Who's excited to look at the Word of God today? I am. You know, preaching is not entertainment. You might think it is, but preaching is not entertainment. Preaching, God designed it. God's the one who said to, to do it. We see the model in the book of Acts is what we're looking at, the book of Acts right now. We've been going through with a fresh look. The truth is not primarily people went around and preached. They declared the truth of the word of God. But the declaring of the truth is not primarily for theology, so we just know more. It's for transformation. It's for life transformation that, that when you and I gather together, and we look at the Word of God together, and you know, and we all have different jobs in the kingdom of God. My job, one of my jobs, is I get the privilege, and it's a privilege, of spending you know, inordinate hours in this book and saying, God, what do you want to speak to us through this book? And it's not to give information primarily, it's to bring transformation in Christ-likeness. That you and I become more like Jesus, because we look at what he says, we look at what the Bible teaches, and we say, how does that affect us? And all we're going to look at today is a big one about affecting us, um, about how we, how we live our lives. And so um, let's look at the word together. We'll, get to, we'll open up to some scripture in a minute. But, but um, hopefully, because I'm going, to, I'm going to do some stuff today, I'm going, to, I'm going to refer to a whole bunch of different places in Acts. Um, hopefully you've been taking the challenge. The challenge has been a chapter a day. We've been in Acts for three months. At the end of this month, we'll be three months a chapter a day reading Acts. So you've read, right now you're coming on the tail end of reading Acts for the third time this summer. And you're beginning to see the big picture. And so when I make references to certain things, you're like, oh yeah, I know what that's talking about because you've been reading it. And so um, I'm hoping this is what you've been noticing as you've been reading through the book of Acts over the summer. And it's just a simple thing. It's this, that Jesus' presence in people's lives makes a big difference. That the way we know that, that, that we really come and encounter with Jesus is because he changes us. We become different than we were before. I remember when I came to Christ, I was working as a, as a printer at Serograph in West Bend. Anybody else ever worked at Serograph? I think everybody has worked at Serograph. There's always people, everybody. At one time, I was, I was employee 624. I was there many, many, many years ago. It's like thousands of people now. But, but um, I remember I came to Christ when I worked there. And I remember people saying to me, something's wrong with him. He's happy all the time now. They thought I was crazy. Something happened. They thought I was in a cult. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good cult because I'm happy all the time, right? I went from being crabby all the time to happy all the time. Something happens in your life when you come to know Jesus. In, 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 when you come to know Jesus in the book of Acts, we see things like this. Saul who half the book of Acts is written about, Saul, who's the persecutor of the church. He's a leading Jewish religious leader, and he's given his life to destroying Christianity. That's his number one objective in life, destroying Christianity. And he meets Jesus. Jesus, I like the way he meets Jesus. Jesus knocks him on his butt on the street and blinds him. And he goes, who are you, Lord? And he goes, it's me, it's Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? That would, change your, that would change your trajectory a little bit, right? And for three days he's blind and somebody comes and tells him the message of Ananias comes and tells him about Jesus. And he's transformed. He goes from the Saul to Paul, the apostle. This incredible transformation because of an encounter with Jesus. But think in other places in the book of Acts. Think about um, a guy named Simon. We call him, how would you like this to be memorialized forever as Simon the sorcerer from Samaria? 
Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magician. And he was a guy that said fooled the Jews through his magic, thinking, trying to make himself out to be a great man and be respected and maybe feared. And he has an encounter with Jesus. It's so real that he actually makes a mistake of trying to buy the ability to see people filled with the Holy Spirit um, from the apostles, and they basically curse him. And then he, it's, his encounter with Jesus is so real, it says that he begs Peter to pray for him. Transform this guy who's the big shot guy. who everybody's He's now literally hands and knees begging Peter, please pray for me, because they said, you're going to die because of the way you act. Completely transformed, becomes a follower. He gets baptized and a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus' presence brings change to our lives. And today I want us to look at a type of life change, of character transformation that we see so often in the lives of the early Christians um, when they come in relationship with Jesus as recorded in the book of Acts. And the character quality I see in them, which I hope there's a lot, which I hope that I see growing and developing in me, that you would see it developing in me, and that I would see it developing in you is this, that when they met Jesus, something changed about their personalities, their core values, and they were, because of Jesus, now in their life, able to look beyond their own personal needs and wants in order to see the needs and wants of other people and then do something about it. They saw the needs of other people. They looked beyond their own life, their own little world. They saw the needs of other people around them, but they didn't just see them and go, oh, that's a great need. They then did something about it. Again, as you've been reading through Acts, think about this. In Acts chapter 6, it tells about a situation where some of the widows in the new church, the church was just brand new, and they had widows in the church. And back then, the widow had nothing. There was no Social Security and Medicare or anything like that. They had nothing. And the church had been, um, would, would distribute food to them, was collecting money like we do, and, and was buying food and distributing it to the widows. And some of the widows were being overlooked. Some widows were getting food based on their nationality, and some weren't getting food. So, you know, that kind of division has been going on forever. And they brought it to the church, and the church looked at the problem. They looked beyond their own self. They saw the need, and what they did, the first, it, Acts 6 tells about this. They selected the first deacons. They created a whole new level of ministry in the church. They created deacons, and the deacons then um, went about serving the tables and making sure that everybody was serviced. They saw a need, but then they did something about it. We say the same thing in Acts 2, where people saw others' needs, and it says this. This is one of the most powerful things in all of the Bible. It says they sold their own property and possessions to give to those in need. They said, I have more than I need. I'm going to give up what I have to help somebody else who's in need. We also see it in Acts 16. I think this is an interesting one. In Acts 16, Paul, who was Saul, who's now the great evangelist, church planter, apostle, he has what's called in Acts 16 the Macedonian call. And we we mentioned that in a couple weeks ago in a sermon, where he has a call. He wants to go to Asia to do ministry. He says the Spirit forbids him, and he has a dream, a vision of a man saying this from Macedonia, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, it wasn't just so easy. Paul had to, they had to get a boat and go over. Macedonia was the first city in what well, now we think of as Europe, place in Europe. They go over there. At their, own, at their own great cost and their own great risk to their lives to help somebody they don't even know who that somebody is yet. 
the Macedonian call. Repeatedly in the book of Acts, we see people with the character quality that look beyond their own needs and wants in order to see the needs of others, and then they did something about it. Now, there's a term for this character quality in Scripture. There's a term for it that's used over and over, and we'd, we'll understand it when I say it in a minute, but it's a term that defines the ability to look past your own needs, see the needs of others, but then do something about it. And the term we would use is this. It's servanthood. It's being a servant. It's understanding that when Jesus comes into our lives, that we see ourselves differently. We see ourselves now as servants. People who see others' needs as more important than their own and then do something about it. That's one of the great oddities of Christianity. It says, prefer your others above yourself. That doesn't happen by just trying. That only happens by having a heart change and becoming like Jesus. It's something that happens after a person legitimately meets Jesus and Savior and Lord, as Savior and Lord. And I really think that this idea, this idea of servanthood, of seeing a need beyond our own and actually do something about it, is something that we really need to be reminded about, especially in our current culture. See, I'm going to show you a picture. Anybody know what the Babylon Bee is? Some of you watch, read the Babylon Bee. Babylon Bee is a satirical, um, what do you call it, a satirical site that's on Facebook and I'm sure Twitter and everything else. And they, they're Christian and they make fun of things. They satirically make fun of different um, things that are happening in order to draw attention to them and make a point. And a lot of them are political. Some of them are just, they poke fun at the church. You know, they're the church and they poke fun at the church in an effort to try to get you to think and go, just maybe this isn't right. Now, some of their stuff I think goes too far. Uh, some of it way too far, but some of it's pretty funny. But here's one that I think is the perfect example of of get into heaven today. So you might not be able to read it, so let me tell you. It says that the heading is, Man tries to get into heaven by showing God Ukraine flag on his Twitter bio. And it says this. It's the man from Wisconsin, it says, that uh, um, I'm going to come down here so I can read it better, that Anthony Spinner, a Wisconsin man, now this is what the nation thinks of Wisconsin people, that he's in the backyard doing all-star wrestling, and he's broken in half and dies. And he goes up to heaven and St. Peter says, and he, he tries, he says, he attempts to argue his way into heaven by showing St. Peter the Ukraine flag he placed on his Twitter bio and is reportedly turned away after being informed that Jesus said, I have no idea who you are. The reason that the Babylon Bee would make something like that is because they're looking at what we're looking at today and saying, there's something wrong in our culture today. There's something wrong in our culture that says, I can see a need. There's a war in Ukraine. I can see the need. I, I'm able to look past myself and see the need. But we say servanthood, what we see in the book of Acts, they saw a need and they did something about it. But we live in a culture that says, you know what I do? I put a flag in my yard. Or I put a Ukrainian flag on my Twitter bio and go, look, it, I'm doing something about it. And my belief is this, that we live in a culture that says, you know what, the world's a polluted mess. So I buy a bracelet made out of, out of bottles from the beach and I think I did something. Or there's injustice in the world economically, so I buy free trade coffee, but 
but $1 of it goes to the problem and $19 of it goes for overpriced coffee that I bought. And I'm consuming the coffee. We live in a world that's got it convoluted. That we see needs around us, that's good. But we say we're doing something about it, but when all we're a lot of times doing, I'm not saying we meaning us as Portview. I think we're really good at, at, at seeing this the right way. But I think culturally, I want you to see the culture that we kind of, culture lives like this. That says, oh, I'm doing something about it. I put a flag up. You know, I, put a, I posted a, a, a Ukrainian flag in my Twitter feed. Didn't I do something special because of the war in Ukraine? I think the early church, they were servants. They saw a need and they did something about it. So in order to understand this, because I think this is a huge issue. I know they can make, you know, we can make fun of it on, on Babylon B, but they're doing it because they see it as an issue. But I think this is a huge issue because it's a huge opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ right now to be different, to rise above, to shine like it's never shown before. So what I want to do today in order for us to understand this better, to understand it's not just me saying we're supposed to serve, but to put, I want to lay a theological, spiritual foundation that you can understand how scripture paints this picture of who we really are supposed to be as followers of Jesus, that we're really supposed to be, we really are supposed to become servants. So you ready for a little foundation building? Yeah? So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Peter here is talking about our salvation, of coming to Jesus as our Savior. That all of us, look what he says here, all of us have inherited from our forefathers, that would mean from our humanity, we're born into this, we've inherited from our forefathers, being people, a futile way of life. That all of us were born into a sin-corrupted world and that the life we're born into, he says, is futile. It's empty and and we're we're not in a right relationship with God. But he says what happened? But we were redeemed. Redeemed means we were purchased. We were purchased away from that old life of sin and we were purchased with what? The most precious and perfect and valuable asset that's ever existed in all of, of anything. We are purchased what with what? It says, the blood of God. It says the blood of Christ. And who's Christ? God. The Son of God. It was purchased with the blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Paying for we, that when he shed his blood on the cross, what he was doing was paying for the debt that we all inherited, it said, from our forefathers from humanity, a sin debt that causes us to be separated from God, not in the right relationship with God because God was pursuing us, but we were running away. And it says here in this text that money, that silver and gold could not buy us, could not buy us that. That only, the only payment that could do is the payment of Jesus' life could purchase us out of our sin debt that he took our sin and gave us his righteousness, that he redeemed us, he paid for us, he bought us. Does that make sense so far? So this is what happens when we get saved. 
You following me? Right? Now, when he did that, something very real happened. We become different, or we became different than we were before. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, first chapter, 13, 13 14 verse, he says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's saying when we responded Jesus' invitation to come to him for forgiveness of our sins, change happens. We don't just join a church. We don't just get religion. No, we are rescued, it says here what? From Satan's darkness and his rule. And he says we are what? We are transferred, we're moved, we're transferred into God's kingdom. Where what happens? Where we take on the spirit and the nature of King Jesus. You see, what happens when we're transferred to the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is positionally, Jesus' righteousness, his character is given to us. So when the Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He says, you're forgiven, it's all gone. But also, we know that there is an aspect where practically we are becoming more and more like Jesus in our character. And the term that that we use for that is, we start to say this, we are part of a progressive process of sanctification which means we are progressively becoming more like Jesus. That's why I say that the objective of preaching is transformation because we are, we are gradually becoming. So it, positionally, Jesus says, you're all forgiven and you're all perfect. But practically, the working out of that in our lives is that little by little by little, we're supposed to become more like Jesus. Now, here's the key to this or why we're talking. The reason this is so important here is that for us to really understand serving, that it's not just something you say, oh, I should be a servant. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. The people in the book of Acts served. To really understanding serving, we need to understand our true identity once we come to Christ. So he's saying we become something different. We're purchased from darkness, we're brought into light, we're transferred into that, and we become something different different. So who or what are we to be as those who have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom? How are we positionally and practically becoming like Jesus, if that's the goal? What's our true identity? Who are we turning into? Well, here's the answer. We are turning into servants. We are Servants. Positionally, that's what we become when he makes us brand new. We become servants. And, but in, in the process, we're also becoming servants. So our identity is as servants. And the goal of our life is to live into that identity and become more of what God says we are. Now, I understand that as servants, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Because a lot of times people say, I'm a kid of the king. Seated in heavenly places. That's true. And that we are children of God. That's true. Yet that does not diminish that what we become as Christ followers is we become 
servants. I think this is often overlooked or forgotten or some people can think it's, it's not fun, where the Bible says it's actually the source of joy, but it's not fun. It's overlooked, I think, in our culture, where it seems that many want to be served, but few want to serve. And the term we have for that is consumerism. We want everybody to do it for us, and we want to just give, you, give you a dollar to do it, but it's consumer. I want it for me. I don't want to do it for you. You see, Jesus clearly communicated to his followers that if they were to follow him, that that they were to follow him in the role of servants. Grab your Bible with me this morning. Open up to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. John 13. Turn on your phone or wherever your scriptures are. John 13. You're going to go... How come I haven't seen this before? How come this wasn't so clear? You know, this is really clear what we're talking about, that we've been redeemed to become something new, and that something new is we are servants. Ready? John 13, starting at verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 17. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his... Or this is the, this is the, the inaction of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper that last day of Jesus' life. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, to betray Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, He got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. means he wrapped the towel around himself. And when he poured water into the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Remember, he walked around with sandals all day in the dust. But it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that one who was betraying him For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Listen, you call me teacher and Lord. Saying you call me the highest position in all of the cosmos. You call me Lord. You, you, You call me God. You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right. For so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. What? If you do them. Servanthood is seeing past yourself to a need and doing 
something about it. Look at verse 15. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. In other words, he's saying you should serve as I serve. You see, Jesus knew that he is a servant. He'd earlier stated this in the Gospel of Matthew. That he, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He was saying this, my identity is as a servant. I am a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. He knew he was a servant, so he served. There was this, because he knew his identity, there was no conflict for him in serving. Here's one of our issues. We have a problem serving because we think we're better than it. We think that's beneath me. Everybody, I've achieved, I have a higher rank, I have a better position in the world, so therefore everybody serves me and I don't serve them. Jesus says, you call me Lord and teacher and you are right. But yet I serve you so that you have the example that you can serve others. He had no conflict in serving Because he knew his identity. He was a servant. And what do servants do? They serve. Jesus is simply living out his identity. And Jesus says to his followers in a very dramatic style, I washed your feet. What was that all about? It was the lowliest of servant duties. He picked out the duty, the scrubbing the toilet duty. The the duty that was for the lowliest servant And he did it to them and he says, now do what I did to you. Serve one another. See, the reason there is often conflict within us when we are called on to serve is because we don't really understand our true identity in Christ. We are servants as he is a servant. Friends, that is our high and holy calling to be a servant. So often people want to be served want to be celebrated or recognized, to be seen as great. Jesus dealt with that repeatedly with his own disciples. Jesus says what? Greatness comes through service. He says, if you understand your identity, you are a servant when you are, in, when you are going to become like Jesus. We all say, make, we sang it in a song today, make me more like Jesus. You know what you are singing? Make me a servant like Jesus, because Jesus said, I'm a servant. Because I'm a servant, I serve. That's our true identity, even if we don't realize it. We're servants. Now, lest you think that I'm leading you astray, take your Bible and look with me at how the early church fathers, most of them who are listed in the book of Acts that we've been going through, viewed themselves as followers of Jesus. We want to look at books that they wrote, letters that they wrote. Let's start out in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. It's interesting. We're going to go to the first verse of a whole bunch of different books. Romans chapter 1. Turn there. Romans 1, verse 1. This is Paul. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. God says, I'm an apostle. I'm the leader. I'm one set with authority. But how does he define himself? His first thing he defines himself, Paul a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Flip a little further into your New Testament to the book of James. The book of James, verse 1, chapter 1. James, 
a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Peter. Turn to the book of 2 Peter. Just keep flipping. You're all just flipping back further into your New Testament. Did them in order so it's easy for you to follow. 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm the apostle, but he doesn't say that most importantly. He says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Look at Jude, last book before, before Revelation. Jude 1.1, the brother of James. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God and the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He says, yeah, I'm, James is well known, James leader of the church. I'm his brother, but more importantly, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Flip over one more page to the book of Revelation. Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, meaning John, to show to his bondservants, so that to everybody, to bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his what? Bond servant John. You think the early church leaders understood their identity in Christ? Every one of these guys starts off their book saying, here's the most important thing about me. I'm a bond servant. A bond servant, you say, what's that? A bond servant was a person who willingly gave themselves to be a servant. They weren't forced into servanthood. They willingly were serving a bond servant. They gave themselves to someone to serve that person. They're all saying, we are willing servants of Jesus Christ. That was the number one thing they wrote about themselves when they wrote a letter to somebody. Identity in Christ. I'm a servant. And then I'm something else. Friends, we must see our true identity in Christ. We are servants as he is a servant. And what do servants do? Servants serve. So, why is it so important that we get this today? When I said this is, in the very beginning, this is so vital today. Here's why. Because the real gospel message is two-sided. The real gospel message is truth and proof. You see, the world around us in our post-Christian world, and if you don't understand that you're living in a post-Christian world, I know we're, we're, we're the Midwest and we're a little bit behind the, the coasts, but if you don't understand that we're in a post-Christian world, you need to open up your eyes and realize we're in a world that's literally trying to deconstruct Christianity. It's attacking Christianity. We live in a world... Today, our community, that for the most part, really doesn't care a flip what the church has to say anymore. Really don't care anymore what the church has to say. At one time, the church was at the center of the, at the, at the top of the town square. And everything in our little communities revolved around, what's the church say? You have lived through the generation where that has changed and no longer does our community, does our society care at all what the church has to say. We are living in that transition from Christianized to post-Christian. We're living it. Christianity has been completely marginalized in our society as a whole. See, we have truth coming out of our ears. We know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know the truth. This is the truth. God's word is the truth. It is the answer for humanity. But for the most part in our culture, it's not impacting our culture because the culture's not listening. We need truth. Truth is is vital. Never give up on the truth. 
But we also need proof. The gospel is two sides, truth and proof. And listen to this, friends. Serving. Loving, helpful acts of service are proof to the world around us that our truth is worth listening to. Being servants opens up the opportunity for people to say, I even care one bit about what you have to say. Being servants says we're so different. We prefer others above ourselves. Where do you ever see that in the world? You don't. When we are that way, like Jesus Jesus was that way. It's who Jesus is. He says, I'm a servant. He laid down his life for all of us. It's a servant. When we are that way, it says something. It says what we believe is so true and powerful that it even changed us. And if it changed us, it just might be true. Friends, imagine Jesus going out into the towns and the villages during his public ministry, and we know the Gospels, right? He was proclaiming the truth of the Gospel everywhere he went. But imagine him going and doing that without the accompanying proof of helping and healing and feeding and encouraging. He did both, truth and proof. Do you really think people would have listened to him if he didn't have the the proof part of it? I don't think so. He's just proclaiming truth. See, the gospel is truth and proof. And if God is going to transform our lives and transform our communities and transform our families, then our families and friends and neighbors are going to first have to listen to what we have to say. The truth that we know is truth. And the doorway to anyone listening to the truth is the proof of your loving life toward them. And that's what serving others is all about. It's the love of Jesus coming through you, putting other people's needs above your own, and doing something about it. Serving is the door opener and the validator of the message that we speak. This is why Jesus is a servant. And this is why he said we are servants if we're his followers, because it propels and empowers the gospel truth. It's the proof that what we're saying is real. It reveals the gospel, that the gospel is strong enough to turn a selfish, lost person into a loving, serving person that sees others' needs and does something about it. And friends, that's appealing because the world, when they see lost and they're looking for something that's real, it makes it real. When they see people with that level of transformation in their life that they put others' needs ahead of their own. Now, I could stop right there, but I have to do one more thing talk about one more thing. I really wrestled stopping here, but you need to see another thing about serving. Because what I've just talked about should be motivation enough to make us just say, I'm, if I'm a, I'm a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is your servant. I want to live out that identity. God, help me to live out that identity. But there's another reason that is maybe even more compelling to me the older I get on why Being a servant is everything. It's this. Because when we serve, the Bible says we actually meet Jesus. You came here today because you wanted to have, you wanted to meet good friends and nice people and drink coffee and all that stuff, but you want in some way to encounter Jesus. 
the Bible tells us. It never says we do it here. It doesn't say that. And we do though, right? There's something of the gathering of God's people and, and that something is real about that, right? But the Bible actually tells us how we can meet Jesus before heaven. How we can meet him. I want you to see this from God's word. So turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 25 with me. I told you we're laying some just theological foundation work down here today. Matthew 25 this is Jesus teaching on what the end of time looks like. The end times. People always wonder, what's the end times? Here's the end times. 24 and 25, that's what Jesus is talking about. Starting verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, means he returns, Jesus returns. He's going to die, rise, go to heaven, and come back. When he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he also then then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they will themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he'll answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Look closely at verse 40. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, in other words, the, most un- the, less- the least important of them, the most overlooked of them, you did it to me. When we help others, when we help other people, We often say things like this. We were being Jesus to them. Or we were Jesus' hands and feet to them. And that is true. We reveal Jesus' love when we serve. We literally are the body of Christ. He is the head, it says. We are the body. The way he reaches the world is through his church. Through followers of Jesus. We literally are his hands and out here. In the world, that's true. But that's not a dimension that Matthew's talking about here. When he's talking about service. 
Matthew says it's not those to whom we minister to who meet Jesus in the ministry encounter, but it is the ones who are doing the ministering who meet Jesus. We're not Jesus to them. They're Jesus to us. Verse 40, when you did it to them, he says, you did it to me. You actually met Jesus. You ministered to Jesus. Notice here, Jesus calls them these brothers of mine. He's saying these people, the least of the people in the world, he calls brothers and he says they're united with him. They're his family. They're his creation. They're the apple of his eye. They're who he loves, all people. And he says, as we meet the needs of the most lowly person, the most overlooked person on the planet, we literally are meeting him. That's what he says in his text. This truth, this new way of looking at the world will change how you serve. It will change how you see people. Is it next week or the week after we're going to City on the Hill? Week or two? Next weekend. We're going to City on the Hill. City on the Hill is a, a primarily uh, inner city ministry, does a lot of homeless ministry, ministers of the poorest of the poor in, in Milwaukee. We're going there. Some of us are going. A handful of us are going. When we go there, if you understand what Jesus is trying to say here, suddenly you're not handing out food to some welfare guy that you feel a little superior to because he's living on the street. And man, if he just got himself a job, So when we look at it, we say it all the time. Our political rhetoric talks about it all the time. If you just got a job, you you don't know anything about that person. You have no idea how they got where they got there. That'll just be the welfare guy when you're going to city on a hill. But if you understand that when you when you serve and you do this, you're actually meeting Jesus, that guy's not some welfare guy. You're gonna see Jesus in his eyes. Or maybe you begrudgingly help, you know, some single mom and you do with an air of, of uh, superiority. You know, well, I can't believe, you know, she got herself in that situation. The church has been guilty of that a million times. Why does that happen? Because we don't see Jesus in her eyes. He says, when you do this to them, you do it to him. We are ministering, we are meeting Jesus when we help somebody who's in need. Helps us to see people differently. You see Jesus in them. You feel Jesus' love for them. We have to see people differently. We need to see Jesus in their eyes. Then we'll willingly and happily serve them in Jesus' name who gave everything for us as the ultimate servant to us and to lost humanity. It says here, you touch Jesus when you touch another person in need. You really do. Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. Friends, that motivates me to want to serve. Whenever I serve, I actually need to remind myself I'm meeting Jesus in the people I'm serving. I think God wants to just change our hearts through the truth of this word. Right? Right. The worship team come this morning. As they're coming, I want to close with one last thought about serving. Finding where and how you serve simply requires opening your eyes to the needs around you. 
verses 35 and 36 of the text we just read from Matthew. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Look at that list. None of those things listed require great skills. None of it requires great resources, a meal, a shirt, an hour of your time, a visit. The needs are all around us. And if we will meet needs as servants, not as superior people. Here was one of the struggles when we were in missions. Pastor Paul can tell you this. The easy thing that happened was we were the great white hope. The great white hope pocket. Because you are there, you know, in Ukraine, and here's the deal is you got a fat wallet in your back pocket because you're American. You go in and say, I can meet all the needs. They don't see Jesus then. They see a banker. People are supposed to see Jesus in us. The needs are all around us. They're all around us in our community. And Jesus calls us as his followers to serve those in need. He says, as we do, we prove the gospel and we meet Jesus in them. And I got to tell you, I'm all in for that. Right? Who wouldn't want to be all in for that? You live out your true identity and I'll tell you this. Until you get this, and here's the deal, we never get it fully. I still wrestle with this all the time. I still feel superior to people. I still think people made dumb decisions and that's why they're in a case and let them just sit that way. But then I look at God's word and remember who I am in Christ. I'm a servant. Not just because he says, John, go be a servant, but because he hung on the cross and he said, I'm showing you what it means to be a servant. And servants serve. I'm living out my identity, and I'll tell you this. You will never find joy in this life by trying to simply fulfill your needs and desires. It is a never-ending cycle of frustration. It never works. If I just do another thing, if I just have this fun, if I just go there, I just buy that, it does not lead to satisfaction. But when you live out your identity, you become you live out according to who God says you are. You find fulfillment and joy. And who does he say we are? We're servants. Now, are we all going to serve the same way? No. Because we all have completely different giftings and callings. But the heart of serving, seeing the needs of others, looking beyond ourselves, seeing other people's needs, and doing something about it not just putting a post on my Twitter feed that says, but I have a Ukrainian flag on there. Aren't I special? Does that make sense? Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? Lord, this is not the theology of our culture. Lord, it's not even really been the theology of the church culture. I think we as a church have done our best to try to understand this. But Lord, I know this. We have a long way to go. You led us to be, as a model for the church, people who care. It could have been people who serve. We know that, Lord. It's basically saying the same thing. We see a need and we do something about it. God, I ask that you would help us. Father, I ask you to help us. 
Would you help us right now today to understand that this is the highest calling? That a lot of the things we've heard our whole lives from from education, our own education, the world around us and media says just the opposite. What we see in so many leaders is just the opposite. They're there to serve themselves. It's about power and control. But Jesus, you're a different kind of leader. You said, I'm teacher, I'm Lord. But you stripped off your outer garments, you wrapped a towel around your waist, and you went and you washed the feet of those who were your followers. You did the most menial task. You did not think you were too good to do the menial task. And Lord, just maybe in some of our hearts and our minds right now, some of us that are maybe even the most accomplished, you'd speak to us and you'd say, what's a way that we could serve today? Lord, we walk out of this place today, those, those things that are listed in Matthew, it was seeing somebody who needed a shirt, somebody who needed a meal, somebody who needed a place to stay. And interesting, Lord, it says a stranger. So it didn't say your cousin Joe. It was risky. It was a stranger. Taking in a stranger. It was a person in jail. It was a person in God, we're going to walk out of here this week and we are going to be inundated with those situations. But Lord, I think where we need your help is that we have been trained to overlook the needs around us. I know I have been. That my life can be positioned in such a way that I never interact with people who have real great needs because I I can isolate myself. I think in this this text, this teaching, you're calling us to have eyes that see, ears that hear, the cries of the people around us, the needs in our neighborhoods, the needs in our families. And God, I just ask this, would you give us the gift of helping us to see and hear? Because I have to believe this. I know this, Lord, that if you show the needs to us, you'll also then give us the resources to meet those needs. And God, here's here's my hope for us, for, for all of us, for me and for everybody. That God, the joy that you promise for your followers would flow to overflowing as we live out our true identities. That we would find joy and being servants that we go oh this is so much better than how I lived before God help us as we're praying today in just a private moment our heads are bowed our eyes are closed maybe you're here today and you're feeling love in this place the worship did something to your soul it's refreshing maybe hearing people talk about putting others first. You're saying, that's not, that's not the way the world around me is. And something inside of you is saying, this is what I need. I need Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. 
for saying he's the model. He gave his life for you. He died for you to, to purchase you, it said, from the former way of life of, of just being stuck and lost in sin. And he purchased you and he wants you in his kingdom. He's already done that. But he wants you to say yes to him and to say, because he doesn't force us. He wants you to say, yes, Jesus. You've made this possible. Now I want to walk in it. I want to meet you. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to come into your kingdom. And I want to be a servant. I want to, I want to be who you want me to be. So today is a day that I'm asking you to come into my life. If you've not done that before, you've strayed away. You say, I need to come back. I just want to give you a chance to respond. And I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out in any way. I just want to give you a chance to respond. And I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Again, I won't embarrass you in any way. But if you say, Pastor Mark, today is the day that I want to come to Jesus. Today is the day. I want you to do something bold. No one's looking around. I'm the only one. I won't embarrass you, I promise you. But I want you to say, yes, Pastor Mark, that's me today. I want you just to raise up your hand. And I just want to see who it is, okay? I see those hands on my left side. You can put them down. Anybody in the middle section or on my right? Everybody, we're going to pray together those who have said yes today. I want you just to pray this. There's no nothing magic in the words. It's just talking to God who's here right now with us. I'm going to invite the whole congregation to pray this out loud and you join along and mean this from your heart. Let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of going it on my own. I don't want to be my own God anymore. I see in your word that you bought me, that you already paid the price for me, for my sins to be forgiven. And I say, I open up my life to you. And I say, Jesus, would you receive me as your child? Welcome me into your family. Make me brand new. Transform me from the inside out. Take away the lies that I believe and fill my heart with truth. Help me now to walk as a servant and a follower of you. Amen. Friends, if you did that today, you said yes to Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to do something before your head hits the pillar tonight, I want you to tell somebody that you said yes to Jesus. Because they're going to help you. Tell somebody who's a follower already. They're going to help you. Come and tell me if you need to, if you want to. You're a follower of Jesus. You're going to start following Jesus. They're going to, number one, it's going to cement it into your heart. Number two, it's going to give them permission to say, let's walk together through this. Let's stand together. As the worship team begins just to sing this closing song, I just challenge you to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you.
spend some time just in the Lord's presence, offering yourself as a servant. Come to our altars and have, we're here, myself and our, and our prayer team will pray with you if there's needs in your life. Come and say yes to Jesus.